You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Football podcast. I'm your host, Billy Powell, and we are finally back. I've taken a longer break than I anticipated, but in all honesty, I was just really enjoying some quality time with the family. But we're back now, the grind continues, and so do the podcasts, starting with this one, of course. Just before we get into the actual episode itself, I just want to wish everyone who is listening... A very happy new year. Hopefully it will be much better than last year, full of success and happiness for you all. For me personally, I've got many things I'm striving to achieve this year, particularly with the growth of the podcast. So if you could, as listeners, wouldn't mind helping in the way of following us on Spotify, subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, and if you really wanted to, following us on Twitter and Instagram at LTFootballPod, it would mean the absolute world to me. But getting into the episode, it feels like there's been a million and one games since the last episode, so I'll start back with just the recent game week which has just taken place. Two games took place on New Year's Day, the first of which took place at Goodison Park when Everton hosted West Ham United. I'm going to be brutally honest here, it was a very poor showing from both sides. Neither team were particularly dominant, but there were plenty of chances. None of the chances were clear-cut, however, but that was only until the 80th minute when the new Fellaini, Thomas Suchet, got himself on the score sheet yet again. Aaron Cresswell's shot from outside the box was deflected off Yuri Minna's outstretched leg right into the path of Suchet, who was never going to miss only a few yards out. The game ended 1-1, which was probably deserved. I mean, if any team was going to win with how the game was going, it was always going to be West Ham. But Everton will be very disappointed with not only their performance, but also how poor they were in front of goal. Calvert-Lewin, who was flying earlier in the season, hasn't been able to score in his past four. And at the moment, it just seems that if Calvert-Lewin isn't scoring, then neither are Everton, which I can imagine Carlo Ancelotti will be very upset about and will feel that his team should be threatening much more than they are. 
That result, though, takes West Ham into 10th, or as Manchester United fans would say, joint 6th. Talking of Man United, they were involved in the second game on New Year's Day when Aston Villa travelled up to Old Trafford to take them on. This game, as a Villa fan, is one of the most frustrating games I've seen in a very long time. For the first 15 or so, it was all United. Villa couldn't really get out of our own half, but every time we did, we looked dangerous. But it was the home side who broke the deadlock. Aaron Wambasaka's delivery into the box was missed by Mings, who was unfortunate not to clear the ball away. But Anthony Martial, just behind him, managed to get his head to the ball and score past Martinez. A goal which United will probably have felt they deserved, but Villa will also feel very unfortunate to have conceded. United went into the break one up, which was probably fair looking at it in an unbiased way. But the second half was a completely different story. Villa came out for the second 45 looking sharp and looking to take the game to United and just before the hour mark Villa made their chances count through Bertrand Traore after Jack Grealish's pass across the box went through everyone but Traore lurking at the back stick was able to pass it home. Villa weren't level for long though unfortunately. Just on the hour mark Paul Pogba tripped over his own leg inside the box and referee Michael Oliver pointed to the spot. VAR had a good look at it but somehow agreed with Michael Oliver's decision and the penalty was given. Bruno Fernandes stepped up and very marginally squeezed it past Martinez to make it 2-1. Villa kept on pushing though, Watkins had a few chances, Mings missed a header, Matty Cash's long range effort was saved by De Gea but it just wasn't to be for Villa. That was United's 10th win of the season though they remain in 2nd place or as they so much like to say, joint top. That game moved Villa down into sixth on goal difference, and next up for Villa is Spurs, so it really doesn't get much easier. Into Saturday now, and sticking with Spurs actually, they hosted a lead side sitting in 12th place. I was very much looking forward to this game, especially due to the contrast in tactics of the two teams with Bielsa and Leeds, constant pressure and attacking style versus Mourinho and Spurs' more sit-back and soak-up pressure approach. And that's the exact kind of game we got, really. Spurs went into the game looking to just soak up the pressure Leeds were putting on them and counter when they got the ball back. And with Leeds' style of play, they're always open to conceding the odd goal anyways. And after some silly play trying to pass it out from the back, Spurs won the ball high up the pitch and Bergwijn was brought down. Which, this penalty decision has had a lot of debate. Personally, I feel like it was inside the box, so the penalty was the right decision. I mean, it was definitely a foul, but it was very close to being outside the box. For me, as I just said, it was a penalty and inside the box, but... I mean, it was very, very close. But when you've got Harry Kane stepping up to take it, there's just no doubt in your mind that he's going to score. And just two minutes before half-time, the home side doubled their lead. This time it was Son who got the goal, but there's no prize for guessing who teed it up for him. Spurs went into the break 2-0 up, which I'd probably say was fair. You know, Leeds are always going to have chances against you in that first half. But Leeds had 10 attempts, which you'd think is a lot. But Spurs, though, had 11 and made theirs count. It was only five minutes into the second half, too, when Spurs got themselves a third. This time, Alderweireld got in on the act when his header from the near post managed to somehow go in. 
Meslier looked like he'd just kicked it out, but instead, I actually think that he sent it in the line, sent it in past the line. Anyways, 3-0 is how the game ended. Mourinho will be very happy with such a convincing win, and I think he'll be even happier at the fact that he's been able to keep a clean sheet again. The first clean sheet since they beat Arsenal 2-0 in the North London derby. The 3 o'clock kickoff saw bottom side Sheffield United take on a Crystal Palace side who have seemed to rejuvenate themselves up a bit. After conceding 10 goals in the space of only a few days from Liverpool and Villa, Palace have actually looked half decent again. They made some very much needed changes in their last game against Leicester the other day as they very nearly came away with the win if it wasn't for a late Harvey Barnes equaliser. And again against Sheffield United they also looked good. Saying that though, the way Sheffield United are going, they could be on to break Derby's record low points tally for the season, so it's not very hard for any team to look good against them. Getting into the game, Palace got off to a flying start through Jeffrey Schlupp's goal only three minutes into the game. After after that, the game's kind of evened itself up a bit, but Sheffield United never really looked a threat to Palace at all. In the 51st minute, Eberich Eze scored one of the contenders of the season, going on a run from halfway into his own half. He drifted with the ball through everyone until he reached the edge of the box when he used the defender as a guide and beautifully slotted it past Ramsdale. I've really rated Eze for a while now. Even when he was at QPR, he was a great player and always looked a threat. So it's so good to see him doing well in the Premier League. I'm just sad that it's not in the claret and blue of Aston Villa. But 2 nils how the game ended. I've gone over it so many times and you know my thoughts on Sheffield United and Chris Wilder. So I'll leave that conversation for another day. Roy Hodgson though, I can imagine will be very pleased with his team's performance. As that result moves them to 14th, which is, three, which is 11 points away from the bottom three. And only four points off Villa in 7th. Moving on to the Brighton v Wolves game now and for two sides that haven't been great in front of goal this season to say the least, I for one was expecting a very poor and boring game, which to my very pleasant surprise was actually the complete opposite. A total of six goals went in at the Amex and the first of which came 13 minutes into the game and it was the home side that grabbed it. Leandro Trossard's delivery into the box looked like it was going straight into the hands of Rui Patricio before Aaron Connolly beat him to it to poke the ball in the back of the net. Only six minutes later and Wolves got back on level terms. Nelson Semedu's cross reached none other than Roman Saiz who headed the ball brilliantly over the keeper into the far corner and just 15 minutes later, just on the half an hour mark, Wolves made it two. Or should I say Brighton made it two for Wolves. Pedro Neto's shot was saved, but it was, wasn't was parried away far enough as the ball landed right into the path of Dan Byrne, who just couldn't get out of the way in time and fumbled the ball into his own goal. Things didn't get much better for Dan Byrne either, and just on the stroke of half-time, he brought Adama Traore down in the box. It was Ruben Neves to step up, and he sent Sanchez in the Brighton goal the wrong way as Wolves headed into the break 3-1 up. Just a matter of seconds into the second half though, Brighton got themselves a penalty. Neil Mopé it was who went down and again, similarly to the previous one, there were no complaints. Mopé himself stood up to take the penalty and he went high and down the middle, which was never going to get saved. The second half was very one-sided with Brighton looking like the only team that were even going to score. 
And on 70 minutes, the Brighton captain Lewis Dunk scored a free header really to equalise for the Seagulls. It looked like Brighton had completed the comeback when Leandro Trossard went through, but just as he managed, just before he managed to get the shot off, sorry, the referee blew for a foul against Trossard on Ait Nuri. A very harsh foul to give for me. In my opinion, the referee should have let the game continue, and if Trossard scored, then pull it back and have a look at the foul as to whether to give the goal or not. But it wasn't to be, and 3-3 is how the game stayed. Wolves did look like they'd nicked it right at the very end though when youngster Owen Otasawi had a great free header from only a few yards out but it could only be directed over the bar. Wolves will feel like it's a lost opportunity for all three points and will be very disappointed at the goals they conceded, particularly the Lewis Dunk equaliser. But Brighton won't be complaining I wouldn't have thought. Considering Wolves' last two seasons finishing 7th in both, they will have felt that it's just not good enough. They've just not been good enough at all this season. And they sit on 14th in 14th on 22 points, which in all seriousness is probably better than what they deserve. Anyways, I'll move on to the last West Midlands club to play this week with West Brom hosting Arsenal at the Hawthorns. There was a bit of last-minute doubt as to whether this, whether this game would go ahead due to the weather with thick snow coming down fast, but fortunately it did get played, and what a game it was too. Arsenal absolutely ran riot and finally looked like a real good team, and in my opinion, a very large part of this is because of one very special young talent, and that's Emile Smith-Rowe. What a player this guy looks. At the age of 20, he's controlling games, running all over the pitch, able to pick out a pass and pretty much do anything and everything that Arsenal have been missing in their midfield. But it was actually the Scottish left-back Kieran Tierney who broke the deadlock on 20 minutes. A beautiful strike on his weaker foot after a lovely piece of play for himself, knocking the ball past the defender and cutting back onto his right foot before placing it beautifully past Johnston. Only five minutes later, Arsenal made it too. This time it was Bukayo Saka who got the goal and it came after some very nice tiki-taka style play from Arsenal. In the second half, it was much the same as the first, with Arsenal bossing the game, and just on the hour mark, Arsenal got their third of the evening. Saka's cross was met by a West Brom defender, whose clearance crashed off the post into the path of Smithrow, but his effort was blocked before Lacazette finally placed it home. Lacazette soon got another four minutes later from a Kieran Tierney cross, which was tapped home. Unfortunately for West Brom, they didn't concede any more and 4-0 is how the game ended. A great first four games for Sam Allardyce, losing three, drawing one, scoring one and conceding 13. Arsenal will be hoping now that this is something they'll be able to build on. But we've said the same about many teams this season and we've had mixed responses. So we'll just have to see and wait, see to wait what happens. Sunday unfortunately saw only two games played as the Fulham versus Burnley game was called off due to COVID-19 cases in the Fulham side. So the first game that took place on Sunday was between Newcastle and Leicester at St James's Park. This game, I'll be honest, was very boring. Or certainly the first half was anyway. In the second 45, both teams started to open up a bit, looking for that first goal. And it was the boys in blue that got the first goal just 10 minutes after the break. 
The Jamie Vardy and James Madison link-up link up seems to be getting stronger with every passing minute. And it was the usual goal scorer who actually provided the assist for this goal when he picked out Madison in the middle as he smashed it into the goal. Leicester soon doubled their lead. Yuri Tielemans it was who got the goal and what a goal it was. Albrighton picked him out on the edge of the box and Tielemans beautifully directed the ball into the back of the net. But with only eight minutes left, Newcastle's got back into the game when Andy Carroll, of all people, got his first Newcastle goal for 10 years. Unfortunately for the Magpies, that was the only goal that they got in the game as Leicester ran out 2-1 winners and retained their third place spot, putting a three-point gap between themselves and Spurs in fourth. The penultimate game of the weekend and Sunday's final game was between Chelsea and Manchester City. With Man City finally starting to find a bit of form, they would have been keen to try and take their chances early on, which is exactly what they did. Only 18 minutes into the game, Man City did get their first goal through Ilkay Gundogan. Only three minutes later, City doubled their lead when Phil Foden got on the score sheet from Kevin De Bruyne's cross. And then just 10 minutes before the break, De Bruyne got his name on the score sheet to make it 3-0 to the Sky Blues. That's not how the game ended though. Chelsea were able to get a goal back in the second half, but it was in the 93rd minute. A little too little too late, I think. All of a sudden though, questions have started to be asked regarding Lampard and his managerial capabilities. Chelsea have now dropped to 8th in the table, only 4 points from the last possible 18. And no way near good enough for a side of Chelsea's stature. But the stats are there backing them up, suggesting that they're playing well. They're just not being able to take their chances, which I don't think anyone will agree with. Man City, on the other hand, though, finally look to be playing some decent football and finally start to take their chance. Typically, it's just before they play Villa, but hey-ho, let's not get into that just yet. (laughs) The weekend's final game was played between Southampton and Liverpool on Monday night at St Mary's. Liverpool were going into the game off the back of two very poor results against two poor sides that they should be beating in the way of Newcastle and West Brom. Southampton will have been hoping to add their names to that list and they got off to a flying start though when Danny Ings latched onto a James Ward-Prowse free kick and dink it over Allison, which put the home side ahead. Liverpool reacted as you'd expect them to putting all of the pressure on Southampton but very much like the previous two games, they just weren't able to take their chances. That's not to take any credit away from the Saints' defence, though, who were fantastic yet again. But for an attacking three of Mane, Salah and Firmino, Liverpool will be very disappointed at the lack of creating clear-cut chances, or at least half-decent chances, you know. As a spectator, there were very few chances where I was worried for the Southampton defence. As good as Salah and Mane are, for me, they just don't have that real fear factor when they're on the ball. Of course, you know that they can do anything they want when the ball's at their feet. But in comparison to someone like Hazard when he was still playing for Chelsea, whenever he got the ball, you were always on the edge of your seat, knowing that he could do something, anything that he wanted to with the ball. Hazard was able to take a man on, dribble through the defence at every any given opportunity. And Salah just doesn't give me that. When Salah's on the ball, I never find myself on the edge of my seat feeling like I'm about to see a piece of magic take front in, in take place in front of my eyes. That's, of course, not to say that 
Salah's not a great player. Of course he is. And he'll always go down as one of the greatest Premier League players. But at the moment, it just looks so half-soaked. Anyways, that's all from me today. Let me know your own thoughts and opinions on the Salah Mane debate and anything else within the world of football for that matter. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at LTFootballPod. Thank you all very much for listening. Take it easy. I know a lot of my listeners are in the UK and of course I know you've just gone into another lockdown. So stay safe, check up on your pals and family members and I'll see you back here on Friday for yet another episode. Take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.